0: Good morning. It's always good to be here together with God's people, to worship Him, and to especially hear from His Word. Please open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, we will be considering the entirety of the chapter as we see how God sets forth for us this beautiful truth of his amazing favor. Ruth chapter 2. Let us therefore hear God's word. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech And behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to his, the reapers the Lord be with you and they answered the Lord be, bless you then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers who is whose young woman is this and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab she said Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean... "...even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied." and her mother-in-law said where did you glean today and where have you worked blessed be the man who took notice of you she said to her mother-in-law with whom she had worked with whom she had worked and said the man's name with whom i have worked today is boaz and Naomi said to her mother-in-law may he be blessed by the lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead Naomi also said to her The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz. Gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that you do grant us to come before your word. And to hear the gospel set forth for us, even as we consider this story from the Old Testament. I pray, Father, that you would preach a better sermon than I can ever preach that you would use the words of my lips for the edification of your people. I'm sure that at the time that we have set apart for this endeavor, there will be many distractions set before us, many thoughts about the events that are to come in the week ahead, and even things that happened early this morning. I pray, Father, that you would help us give us focus and concentration and help us hear clearly that we would behold the beauty of Christ set forth for us through your word. We pray that you would make this time fruitful by the power of your spirit, knowing that we can do nothing apart from our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. We live in a land of self-referential progress. In other words, when we feel that we need to succeed, we are accustomed to looking to ourselves. We're accustomed to looking to what we can do to make sure that we achieve some sort of progress. When our liberties are threatened, we look to our bills of rights and we demand that they not be infringed upon. When our health is not doing well, we look to our diets and we look to how we have been using the provisions that God has given to us with regard to food. And when we look to sin, we turn and we see that we are a fallen people, a people who are habitually doing what is evil. We look to our morality. We looked for ways to improve. We looked for ways to do better. But when life is hard, you don't need bill of rights. You don't need a diet. You don't need anything that is self-referential. You need the favor of God. It is impossible to endure this hard life without God's favor without God being well disposed of you, without God being well pleased with you. I'm sure this past week you have encountered many sins, many frustrations, many difficulties. You have encountered the brokenness of life. And you have found yourself at your wit's end, not knowing what to do next. What you don't need to do is look to yourself. What you don't need to do is say, how can I figure this out? What the Bible tells us to do is we seek God and we look to Him and in Him we find amazing favor. The last time we were in the book of Ruth, we left off in chapter 1 where Ruth and Naomi had returned from the fields of Moab. And by what we hear, or we read rather, from the lips of Naomi, we see that she has had a very difficult time in the field of Moab. Her her husband has died along with her two sons. And she is left in a very difficult situation. Life has become very hard. She persuades one of her daughters-in-law to return to her people but she is unable to shake from her this character named Ruth she is holding on to her mother-in-law and she has committed herself to her but even in this amazing commitment from Ruth Naomi doesn't see that this is divine providence she still thinks that God is out to get her That God is trying to make her life impossible. That God is trying to punish her. That God is uh, playing target practice with her life. And sorrow upon sorrow, she's blaming God. But what we find here in chapter 2 is that even in her rebellion and stubbornness, God in His mercy continues to show favor. And how he shows Naomi favor is by showing Ruth favor, as we have read just a while ago. So, this morning, what I want us to see, the big idea that is set before us, is this. God relentlessly shows his people favor in kindness. God relentlessly Shows his people favor and kindness. And he does this by three ways. By his divine providence. By offering protection and provision. And by offering hope. Let us look at his divine providence. The first verses that we read here in chapter 2. Tells us that there's a new character on the scene. Up until now, we've been dealing primarily with three characters, Ruth, Na- Naomi, and Orpah. And then, after Ruth and Naomi return from the fields of Moab, we are introduced to this guy named Boaz. The narrator gives a brief bio of Boaz and lets us know that he is linked to Naomi. In other words, he's a relative of Naomi and he's of the clan of Elimelech which means that he's going to, he's potentially going to play a big role in the rest of the story and by the end of the verse we get his name properly Boaz however snug between Boaz being a relative of Naomi and of the clan of Elimelech the narrator has inserted a phrase that should astound us at this conjecture The narrator says that Boaz is a worthy man, or you can say, a man of valor. It would have been nice that that would be a common description for the men during this time in the period of Israel. But unfortunately, that is not the case. He is actually an exception, not the norm. Because if we turn a couple pages back, we observe that there was another man who was also known as a mighty man of valor. His name was Gideon. He was commissioned to save Israel from the Mineadites. But there's a big difference between Gideon and Boaz. While Gideon succeeds with weapons, Boaz succeeds with character. While Gideon ultimately serves himself, Boaz is relentlessly selfless. I don't say that to diminish the courage and bravery of Gideon. I say it because Boaz was a rarity in the times of the judges. After all, it is a very perilous time the that the period of the judges there was a lot of peril during the time of the judges. And after this brief bio of Boaz, we see that the narrator shifts to a different scene. Here we have Ruth taking the initiative, asking her mother-in-law permission to enter the Israelite workforce. Notice what is being asked. This is not, you know, a typical teenager trying to get their feet wet uh, with a new job. Ruth is asking to enter into a hostile Environment. Again, we must remember that she was not welcomed according to the law. She was a reprobate. She was cursed. She was a Moabite. She wasn't allowed in the assembly of God's people. But that was not her only problem. She had another problem, and that was her sex. She was a woman. And women did not fare well during the time of the judges. Remember Jephthah's daughter. She was given up in a form of a sacrifice because of a rash vow from her father. Or we can remember the the concubine of the Levite. She found herself dismembered and distributed throughout the land of Israel. Twice in our verses, we have a reference to the potentiality of Ruth being assaulted. In other words, it was dangerous for her to go. If you ask me, I would say that this is not a place where you want a foreigner roaming the streets of Bethlehem looking for work. Yet, amazingly, Ruth is willing to endure the vitriol for the sake of her mother-in-law. What faith, what kindness is displayed by Ruth? She doesn't sit back. She doesn't let life go on and treat it passively. She's exercising faith that God in his mercy will provide for her a man in whom she might find favor. And with no guarantee of success at the end of verse 2, we see that Ruth just bids her daughter to go. Then the narrator tells us that Ruth went out to do her gleaning and by sheer luck, she comes upon the field that belongs to Boaz, the worthy man. Out of all the men in Israel, Ruth finds the field of a man who is worthy. A man who, is, who has a character of godliness. She could have found herself in a difficult situation by a man who would take advantage of her and abuse her and exploit her, but yet she finds herself in the field of a worthy man, a godly man. What a coincidence. That the, the, it, it's, it's funny how the narrator says that by chance she, be, she came She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Moaz. And you could imagine the grin on the narrator's face when he rode, and it happened that she came. This is actually no coincidence. So at this point, it'll serve us well to step back and observe God's gracious favor and kindness, bringing about his redemptive purposes. In and through the various decisions that are happening before us in our story, God is at work. Remember that the story of Ruth is to connect the last verses in Judges. There, were no, uh, everyone, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes is the last verse in Judges. It's connecting that verse and ultimately to the kingship of David, which ultimately points us to Christ, the last and final Davidic king. And what seemed like luck to the casual observer was actually God's hand, bringing about His glorious purposes. One of the sweetest realities of our lives as believers is that we are not the casualty of happenings that are out of of our control. We are not the victims of mere chance. We are not the victims of fate. God is in control in our lives. The London Baptist Confession of 1689, speaking of God's providence, speaks of it in this manner. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least but his most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of his glory, of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. In other words, what the confession is saying is that God is in control, but he is not just merely in control. It's not that He's just merely sovereign. It means that He is in control, but for those who are in covenant relationship with Him, He's disposed in kindness and in favor towards them. That's the difference. And that is what providence means. Muslims my, Muslims actually believe in the sovereignty, in the absolute control of God. They believe in a God who ordains whatever comes to pass. They believe in a God who knows the hairs on their heads. They believe in a God who can do as He pleases. But you say, what is the difference between Allah and the Christian God, the God of our confession, the God of the Bible? The difference is that in, in the Muslim's belief of divine sovereignty, His sovereignty Operates independently from his love, justice, and mercy. It's raw sovereignty. It's I do what I want and however I want and when I want to do it, no one can tell me otherwise and, and I can flip my decision making on a dime and I do things arbitrarily. When I feel like I do something, I do it and no one holds me to Account. Now, that is something that we do confess, that God is the one who does things according to His uh, divine will. But He also does it with our favor in mind. Kevin DeYoung writes a brief article about this and says... When the Reformed thinkers exalt in God's design and decrees, they typically do so with a different words besides sovereignty. They much prefer to talk about providence. Obviously, the two are related. There's nothing wrong about celebrating divine sovereignty so long as we understand that God's inscrutable power is not exercised on a whim, but always as an expression of love for His people. His sovereignty is pro-us. And that is good gospel news for us this morning. It's despite the difficulties, despite the circumstances, despite the tribulations that we face, we know that God's ultimate control of our lives and His purposes in our lives are for our good and never otherwise. I don't know about you but I have sometimes doubts with worry I think of all the things that can go wrong I mean I think Murphy is my cousin I worry and think about all the things that can go wrong that coupled with the events of that have happened in my life, any small little thing just gets me a ton of worry. And honestly, my wayward heart sometimes makes me suspicious that something bad is waiting for me around the corner. I don't know how to explain it. Have you ever felt that? That insecurity curled up inside paralyzing you with some type of fear. God is somehow going to drop the good purposes that He has for you. Dear Christian, remember that the events in your life did not happen on a whim. God is for you. He is for us. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us He did not spare up His own Son. He did not spare His own Son, but with Him freely gave us all things. Therefore we can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. How is God disposed to us by his divine providence? And that's what we see in this oh in these opening verses. God is working out and by his providence bringing Ruth to the field of Moab. But that's not the only thing that God how God shows us his relentless favor. He also provides protection and provision. Look at verse 4 in the narrative. It tells us that the narrator starts with some form of character development. Character development is the process of building unique three dimensional character with depth, personality, and clear motives. In other words, he is trying to give us a full orb description of Boaz so that we can get a full feel of who this man is. This is a technique mainly used in fiction, but it can also be to, in order to retell a real story as we have before us here. In verse 4, we see his interaction, Boaz's interaction with his reapers. And look how he greets them. The Lord be with you. Now, I mean, I haven't been working too long, but that has never been a greeting from my boss. The Lord be with you. That is something, it would be rare even today to hear someone say, the Lord be with you. But this is the type of man that Boaz is. God is front and center. Unlike what we see described in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Boaz is not a man-centered man. He is a God-centered man. And the workers reply, uh, the Lord uh, bless you. So we get this idea. sense of identity that um, Boaz is being described for us rather in a favorable way we're starting to get the full contours of his character after the greeting Boaz turns his attention to Ruth and inquires about her he says in essence who 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 does she belong to he's not expecting the name it's not like who is this as like tell me her name he's saying who where does what part of society does she come from and the worker replies, this is Ruth. Uh, she came back with Naomi from the fields of Moab. And when, he, when they answered that to him, he remembers her. For it had been told to him. He had learned about her kindness that she had shown to her mother. And he speaks tenderly to her. Look at verse 8. He says, Now listen, my daughter. Uh, that is not how we hear the judges in the book of Judges speaking to women. Uh, it's not tender. It's not gracious. But here there's a contrast. Boaz is speaking tenderly to Ruth and ironically to a Moabite. and Someone who is an outsider. Observe the, the, that grace and compassion. And he charges, in verse 9, his men not to touch her. He's offering her protection. Additionally, he offers her drink when she is thirsty, offering her a bit of rest. In other words, here, in these several verses, we see that Boaz is both the provider and protector for Ruth. But if we read the law, we see that he's not acting merely... To the letter of the law. Boaz was only required to leave the ends of his field unharvested so that the poor, the orphan, the widow can come and harvest it and have something to to eat. It was like a welfare to work type of program where the needy didn't just receive handouts, but they participated in their nourishment all the while. Those who had means could provide for them. But the more we look at the story, the, the reality is that Boaz owes Ruth nothing because that law was for a sojourner. But remember, Ruth is not a sojourner. She's a Moabite. She's not allowed to be in the land. So in essence, Boaz could have just said, you know, um, I'm glad you came to work and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're taking initiative, but you're not allowed here. You're not welcomed. And he could have told her to return back to her people. Yet he sees her faith, leaving her homeland and her people as Boaz, Boaz's forefather Abraham did many years ago, Ruth abandoned her people, her gods, and showed kindness to her mother-in-law. He also sees her plight and how she is in a very difficult spot and he shows her unwarranted and undeserved favor. Boaz didn't have to show her favor. He decided to show her favor. And that is one of the things that we must always understand. That for us, for the, for the gospel to be beautiful for us, for the gospel to be glorious for us, we must remember that God didn't was not required to show us favor. He wasn't obligated to show us kindness. God showed us kindness out of the goodness of His character. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, when we were outsiders, apart from God, apart from his promises, God showed us favor in Christ, just as we see Boaz He uh, showing Ruth favor here. Boaz, the, the generosity of Boaz is enormous, it's extravagant. Because not only does he give her protection, not only does he give her food, he uh, uh, um, provision for her sustenance that she might take back home uh, to feed, to help feed Naomi. He invites her into a meal. And it says that she ate until she was satisfied. That is the man who we have before us, who shows us the beauty of. Of the gospel. You slip up, if you flip back a couple pages, you see Samson itching to satisfy his own lust, looking out for the big three me, myself, and I. But here we find something different. We find a picture of godliness. We were, we identify with Ruth. We don't buy birth belong to God's covenant people. We are children of disobedience, born of Adam, born unto death, born under a curse, born for damnation. But God in his divine mercy has shown us favor, has shown us compassion, has tenderly saw us that he might display his kindness to us. Not only that, he also offers us a meal. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as we observed last Sunday, instituted a supper that we are invited to, that we might find satisfaction in Christ, true food and true drink from heaven. So, as we think about this story, the question that is before us do we treat others as God? shows us that Boaz treated Ruth. Are we attentive to those who are outside, who don't fit the norm, or are weird, or are not um, invited into the cliques, the Christian cliques? Do we seek out those who are disenfranchised? That is the question that we have before us. If God so loved us when we were unlovable, do we love the unlovable? Or do we require them to become lovable that we might love them? In our class that we are having, fortunately canceled twice in the last three Sundays, we hope to get back to it, but I implore you to attend It's our class on evangelism. And we must pray that God would make us these type of people like Boaz, who looked at the plight of this young woman and sought to show her mercy and grace and kindness. Not that we can save anyone, but we're called to extend mercy even to those who are outside. Last thing we see, so we see that God shows us his relentless favor by his divine providence and his protection and provision. And lastly, we see God's relentless favor towards us by offering us hope. In verse 19, we see in our verses that Ruth returns back home to her mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law, Naomi, says, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Bless the man who took notice of you. Ruth had returned with like 70 pounds of food back to their place. And Naomi was impressed. Then Ruth proceeds to tell her what was done to her in the field while she gleaned. But she proceeded to tell her the name of the man who Helped her. She said, The man who helped us, his name is Boaz. Now, if the food was good news for Naomi, this was even better news. Because Naomi links this Boaz to the clan of Elimelech. And this is the first time in this book that we see that Naomi is actually joyous. She is actually hopeful for the first time after losing her husband, her two sons, journeying back, feeling like God had punished her in the fields of Moab. What we see here is a ray of hope. Naomi is thinking, oh my, this could be it. This could be the redemption that can happen and bring about a good fortune in our family. In other words, the family name might be restored and might be saved. She finally had hope. God was showing her favor by offering her hope. We don't have a Boaz that will continue our family line. We don't have a relative that has to redeem us. We have a Savior who has redeemed us and promised us eternal life through Him. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, when life is difficult and when things seem contrary and when you feel that no progress is being had, God in His grace gives us glimmers of hope. Glimmers of hope that God is at work. So the encouragement that we have to take from this story is to be on the lookout for those instances where God is showing us favor and giving us glimmers of hope. Hope that God is still working in the life of our relative. That God is still bringing about salvation in our friend. That God is still working to bring about His glorious purposes. But ultimately, look to Christ who offers the everlasting hope. The hope of eternal life. The hope of an imperishable inheritance that we have through Him. God offers us hope on a daily basis, especially when we gather with God's people and sing the praises of the gospel, he reminds us that our life is not our own, that we belong both body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So in the most difficult and challenging times, we look to the hope that we find in Jesus Christ, the one paid the price for our redemption that we might be included into God's family. This morning, don't look to yourself to find favor. Look to the God who has covenanted Himself to you through His Son, and in Him find favor and everlasting joy. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You because you show us through this short story your relentless unwavering favor that you show those who are bound to you through your son Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would help us see the beauty of the gospel ever more so displayed through as we live our brief and momentary lives. We would know that you are the God who is working out your good purposes in our lives and you never forsake us and you will never leave us now even to the ends of the world. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.